What's good, everyone? Welcome to a brand new season of Shit Talks. My name is Gabby Boskis, and I'll be your host for today. I'm so excited to be back for a brand new season, a brand new space, and a brand new partnership. Shit Talks Studio Sessions, episode three. This series is called Studio Sessions, and we partner with Soapbox to bring season three to life. Electoralism or organizing, whatever the case is, I think that a lot of spaces in which we're trying to get things done are isolated. Today's conversation is gonna be about electoralism, the relationship between city officials and youth, and the difference between electoral power and people power. So with that being said, make sure you get your little popcorn ready because we're about to get started. Hey, hey. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us. How are you feeling today? Good. Good, good? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Uh, well, I don't know if you guys know, but this is actually our last episode of season three. You know, it's all woman crew and let's go. I'm excited for what we're gonna get into. Let's just start with, you know, your name, your pronouns, where you from and how you guys started into this work. Okay, Um, my name is Caitlin. I'm 15 years old. My pronouns are she, they. Um, where I'm from, Southside. Southside in the building, for sure. Um, and how did I get into this work? Um, I don't think there's a specific moment, but I think that there's a specific feeling of like me just being tired. Um, yeah. Wow, yeah. Um, my name's Nava. Any pronouns I would love and respect work. Um, Southside, I grew up in a little, yeah, little neighborhood called Brighton Park. People don't really know about it. It's between Little Village and the back of the yards, um, and I like started doing this stuff, like in middle school, I learned about unions and I just, it's been like that ever since, you know? Um, Let's go. Nice. Um, my name is Rosana Rodriguez, my pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, I think I started in this work when I was six years old and my community didn't have water and we had to mm -hmm. protest for a very long time because we didn't have running water. Um, I'm originally from Puerto Rico, and I represent the 33rd Ward in Chicago, mm -hmm. uh, which includes Albany Park, Irving Park, and Avondale. Let's go. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate that, and thank you for letting us in a little bit about who you are, and I love that you guys started to talk a little bit of like what radicalized you. So I'd actually like to start with that question. I know, so whoever wants to take it away first, I'll let you guys decide. I think that the experience of growing up in Chicago and it being such a specific experience that like only people from Chicago can tell you like, this is what it was like growing up as a kid on the South side or the West side or whatever the case may be. And I think that like seeing the conditions and not only seeing, but like feeling the conditions and internalizing it, um, the generational trauma, the like having to, to take care of my younger siblings. I think that that radicalized me a lot. Um, seeing that I couldn't provide for my siblings or myself at the moment. I think that definitely did a lot to me. Um, but yeah, definitely being a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I feel like nothing like personal experience to be like, like this is the moment that it really is gonna set something for me. Thank you for sharing that. I think mine really started in, in school, which is shocking because I do not like the school system at all. That's usually um, what, what yes. it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm like, well, you know, and I was like in middle school learning about unions and learning about like all of these things that like, you know, worker exploitation and how like people come together to figure out like, hey, this is like really fucked up and they're doing this to us and why are we letting this happen to us? Um, really opened my eyes and made me think like, there's like a bunch of horrible shit going on in the world. Why are we not doing something about it? You know, so it's always been that just like the moment I've heard about it and, and I knew that people could do something about it, I was like, well, why aren't we? 
Um, and that really pushed me to being like, well, why am I not doing something? So let me do something. Um, yeah. Thank you. So I think radicalization for me has been a continuum. Mm -hmm. Like I can I trace it back to like being six years old and having to like go out with my little sign and like you know going to picket in front of um, the Waterworks Authority in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. um, but after that, it just felt like you keep discovering things in and ways in which you are oppressed and you witness oppression around you and oppression that might not be your own. Yeah but that you feel deeply because it's your fellow human beings that are being oppressed and you can identify with the pain and you can identify um, with the injustice. Um, so I think that it just has continued to happen. Um, I would say that maybe the latest that I can think of is 2020 um, and the murder of George Floyd by the police, I think I think we had witnessed that for a very long time and it was a moment of like collective radicalization, right? Um, and I feel like the attitudes towards policing in that moment, for example, became um, a lot more clear and respected. I think that the institution of policing has just been um, in trouble for a very long time, but very few people would dare to challenge it. And then all of a sudden there was like a collective outrage. Um, and I felt like that touched me deeply in the way that I do my work um, and in the way that I try to find ways to, um, to, to be able to, to build things at the, at the policy level, at the community level. So I think radicalization has just continued to happen over and over and over. Yeah, and I think that's like, a thing for a lot of organizers where it's just like a journey to it and there's these moments in your your history of an organizer where you feel it where you're like this is this is one of those moments where it's not just me becoming even more radicalized but it's other people around me and it's just like it's in the air um so it's basically it's a big community thing but also like it's a journey and there's real real moments i'm sure that all of us can you know think of where, where like this is when it happened like I'm thinking about like no cop and when I led my first protest against standardized testing and like all of these little moments that really build up that really remind you that like, hey, I still have a lot left to do. I think it's also like seeing the current sanctuary of our communities as well and seeing that a lot of people aren't radicalized and are in the mindset of like what we have been doing and what we continue to enable as a capitalist society. And so it's really hard um, waking up every day and like enabling a system and like seeing what the system does to us and does to our communities and the people who we coexist with every day. And I think that that definitely strikes an anger, uh, call it radicalization, call it whatever it is. It's definitely there. Mm -hmm. I love that. I feel like something that I heard from like what everyone was saying is that it's definitely like collective effort community thing is like core to being radicalized. It's not just something that you do individually but something that you share with other people. Um, I know also another thing that I noticed is that everyone sort of had that moment really young. And I love that. I mean, we're talking about six years old. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm wow. like, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I want to know more about, um, you know, you guys are still young people organizing right now in this moment. So tell us about how you got started and what campaigns have you been working on? Um, so I kind of started when I was around, like I said, like 14, 15, so around. Peyton's age. My first thing that I vividly remember doing is leading um, the opt-out for a standardized test called the PARC. Um, 
it was like they told us like it didn't matter, like it's not gonna affect our grade, it's not gonna affect the school, and like it was just like a thing to do. And we were like, that's kind of dumb. Um, you're spending how much money on all of this stuff and like taking us out of class for how many hours just to like do a test that does not matter. Um, and you know, like we're in middle school and we all think like failing a class is the end of the world in, you know, when you're not out of school. And so, you know, standardized testing gave a lot of anxiety to folks and like, including me and my friends. Um, and so we were just like, if it holds no value and we can do anything else with our time, like we're gonna opt out. Um, and that kind of really just showed me that like, as a young person, like, oh, I can still do things. Like I have, a, I have power as a young person to, to make people listen to me and make adults listen to me and respect what I have to say. I got involved with um, Brighton Park Neighborhood Council, like through a teacher who intro, um, introduced me to it. And ever since then, I've just been like, hey, you wanna do this? Yeah, throw me at whatever, like put me out there, I will do it, you know? So I've done like, st like education stuff about standardized testing and getting more f like funds for public schools. I've done stuff about um, minimum wage, fight for 15. Um, I'm doing stuff currently about like the gang, erase the gang database. Um, um, cops out, you know, cops out CPS currently. Did a was a big big player. No Cop Academy, which is you know, a very big big name that turned out way bigger than we thought it would be. Um, so yeah, that's uh, some of the stuff I've done. I feel like I've probably done a lot more, but it all kind of just molds together at some point. You know, if you, I've been doing this since I was 14. I'm 21 now. I'm just like. What have I done? <laughs> Thank you. I do want to pause for a second. I feel like we've we've had sort of hit on a lot of different points, right? I think we've we've been touching on. I think like one of the questions that come up for me is like we, you know, we use the word community a lot, and I think that it's when we're talking about it, it's like easy for us to think about like who my community is. But I really actually want to ask you guys like when you think about community, you know, um, what does that mean like to you? And and actually I like to start with Rosanna and and like to hear your perspective on like what does community mean to you? Like who's in your community? I mean, community is the people who are around us that are sharing the experiences of the systemic uh, reality, right? Mm -hmm. The people who are marginalized and the people who are um, experiencing hardship mm -hmm. because the system is unable and unwilling, not unable, yeah. unwilling to provide for the basic needs of people. And those are the people that we want to be able to organize to be able to change the reality that we're facing. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are different kinds of communities, right? Um, you can think about the school communities in, mm -hmm. in my ward, for example, have very specific needs that need to be addressed. Those are connected with uh, communities that are being displaced, mm -hmm. which there's a, a very real impact into the school communities. Yeah. Whenever, for example, there's displacement and schools lose enrollment because of the way that they're funded, then you get less resources for a school. Mm -hmm. So I, I think um, besides community being our neighbors and the people that live in the, in the immediate um, area that we live, um, it is also the people that are struggling alongside us to be able to have uh, a decent standard of living mm -hmm. um, in against all odds, right? Systemic odds. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that you asked that because I literally yesterday was watching uh, a lecture of bell hooks mm -hmm. um, and someone asked her the question like, what's your, like, cause she wrote about community and communion and the difference between the two. Um, 
and I like that's all that I think about is like who is my community and then who is my communion and I think that my when I think of community I think of like the little black boys like on their bikes and I think of like the grandmas in the house cooking and you know the uncles on the on the sidewalk just looking around playing music like I think of that I think of like folks on the green line you know talking having conversations coexisting but when I think of my communion I think of this I think of people who I can nurture and and receive from and also give um because as Rosanna was saying that like our community are people who we struggle alongside with. However, they do not have to acknowledge that they're in the struggle as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that happens a lot of times when we're conditioned to things is that a lot of people in our communities don't acknowledge that what they go through, what they have to struggle with and how they're surviving isn't just out of luck. It didn't just drop out of the sky. It's something that you're conditioned to and it's from a system that doesn't give a shit about us. Yeah, so I would say one of the things that I'm happy like where we are right now is like I think we've all agreed it's like fuck the system, right? <laughs> but like as a collective, I feel like we're all like saying like yes, like we don't believe in these institutions, um, they are oppressing us, and this is something we're actively fighting against. But it is something that we're also like still living in, right? Like the system is very much intact, right? And so I do want to spend some time. You know, we are sort of touching a little bit already on people power, so let's talk about what electoral power looks like, and so. Um, there's this term, you know, electoralism, which I'm gonna be real with y'all. Like I had to Google this shit like five times and I still don't know what it means. I was, I was like, yeah, we gonna have to print they it out. It, they make it confusing on purpose. Like. Yes, no, right. And so like, I do want to spend some time. Uh, I'm gonna read this like verbatim and then we're gonna talk about like, do we even know what this is still? And then, cause I'm like, I'm like I don't know. I was, I'm telling you, I pulled up a few articles and I'm like, oh. so electoralism, according to Google, Um, A state of partial transition from authoritarian rule towards democratic rule in which the regime conducts the electoral aspects of democratic governance in a relatively free and fair manner. Does that make exactly? (laughs) No, but okay, so that's, you know, that's Google. But I do want to say electoral power, I mean, it's a system in place that a lot of times feels like it gets in the way. And then what you mentioned, though, is that there are instances where it's like the Safety Act, Free Trial uh, Fairness Act, where we can actually make really big change through the system. And so we actually did a shit talk on, on the Safety Act. And so, um, awesome. yeah, <laughs> so make sure to check it out on Instagram. You know. Free promo. <laughs> no, but I do want to ask, you know, like uh, you're in a really special position because you are actually an elected official, right? So can you reflect on, you know, having reflected now on what electoralism is, you know, how do you feel in your position as an alter person? Um, yeah, yeah, like, you know, what do you believe? So I, I need to I need to put this in context. I'm from Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. I came from Puerto Rico in 2008. And in Puerto Rico, I actually didn't engage with the electoral process because I always thought that nothing was going to change. We're mm-hmm. a colony of the United States. So mm-hmm. it didn't actually even matter <laughs> what we would vote for because all decisions that are important to the country are made by the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I never actually thought that I would be in an elected position. Um, I think that here in Chicago, we started seeing that there were windows of opportunity to be able to take some institutional power for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happened with Carlos Ramirez Rosa in 2015 when, when he ran as the first socialist. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and he made 
a space for him. In that same election, Tim Megan ran in the 33rd Ward. We were 17 votes away from a runoff with the Mel dynasty. Mm. Um, so then we decided to organize for four years in order to be able to win that election the next time. I didn't know that it was going to be me, the one that was going to run. Right. <laughs> we started an independent political organization, an mm-hmm. IPO, um, and we organized around um, immigration, housing, and education. Mm-hmm. And we knock on doors, we canvass around rent control, we canvass around moratorium and charter schools. Mm-hmm. Um, we accompanied our undocumented neighbors to court um, whenever they had hearings. We did fundraisers for undocumented people. And um, and we ended up running again. And then I was the one that ran. Um, and I, my reflection, I think, at this point is that in city council, although we're still working within a structure that is dominated by machine politics, mm-hmm. by uh, an almighty mayor that dominates all of the dynamics of city council, we have been able to make movement in a lot of different areas because we make a lot of noise, because we bring movement with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it is a, a very interesting way of doing electoral politics, and I am, I'm really excited to continue going hard doing this work. And how has that felt, you know, being, you know, I know you have a different experience being, you know, growing up in Puerto Rico, now being in the States, and participating in like the political sphere here, right? And now you're in a position where your role can actually create change for other people. So like, what does that feel like to you? Um, I think when I was growing up, you know, being that six-year-old girl trying to get the government to just give us what belonged to us, right? Mm -hmm. It was water. It was the water that came from a river that was diverted to go to a Navy base Mm -hmm. um, in in a different town. the idea at that point was that water is ours and we're going to take it because it's ours. And that's what we ended up doing. Mm-hmm. Now it feels like alongside other people in the community, we have made the decisions that we're going to go to the place of power and we are going to try to take those resources for the community, mm-hmm. for ourselves, um, while representing the community, right? And carrying those fights inside of these institutional structures that are taking these resources from us mm-hmm. um, and not allowing us to be able to, to grow to our full potential. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what it feels like right now. It, it feels like we are um, always fighting so hard for the most basic things, yeah. uh, but we can't stop. And as you know, as a Puerto Rican woman, um, as somebody whose English is not her first language, um, it's been really tough to be in there. I, there's only two Latinas in city council. Wow. Um, and we are in the opposite ends of the political spectrum. Yikes. So I am, you know, at the so furthest left. For a- yeah. <laughs> she is in the furthest right corner. Yeah. So we don't even collaborate um, because we have completely opposing views of what the reality of our city should be. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is a lonely space at times, um, Mm -hmm. but it is also a very necessary fight and and we are there doing it. Yes. Well, thank you for holding it down for the right side because <laughs> we need it. <laughs> and left, left side. Right. <laughs> She's like, clarifying, please. <laughs> yes, but yes. I love, oh, right. This is the right side. <laughs> no, I meant the word. No, we're, we're the, the, you know, the, right the right side. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I know, I know. <laughs> no, I know. I'm glad it's like we're on record. No. Thank you for sharing that.
you know, there is the system like we've talked about, right? Like where the system that we're living under, we're fortunate that we have someone like Rosanna who's able to advocate, you know, for our communities. But, you know, what do you guys think about the current like political system? Like, do you believe in, you know, sort of like infiltrating it from the inside kind of thing, like electing our, or getting our people to like take office? Like, what are your thoughts on that? It's like a complicated question because I'm an abolitionist, down to the core. I believe in destroying the system we have now and building and creating something new in, that, in its place. But I under, also understand that it's a long fight. It's a fight that's been happening before I was born, before my mom was born, before any of us in this room were born. I don't believe in the election process or in any of the processes, but like Caitlin, I think it's, we have to use all tools available to us to push for the future that we want. But it comes with the question of, if we choose to play this game, are we just gonna be seeing for the rest of our lives the little pieces being put into place until we finally get the big picture, until we're, we have to sacrifice a lot to get a little win? You know, because I talked about before, like when we have our wins, we have to cherish them because we get so few and so little in between them all. Um, that it, it fucking sucks. Um, to like come into this space and being like, I know I'm surrounded by people who love and cherish me and want to take care of me and want to see a better future for me and my people. But also it's fucking exhausting that I have to get that for myself anyway. And so it's, it's confusing because I, I don't want to play into this game, but I also know like, how else will I get power? How else will they listen to me? Because I feel like when, as I grew up, it's become more focused on like the institutions and figure out the little, the nitty gritty of, all of the political talk and all of these respectability politics. When when I was 15, I would be like, I don't care about that. I want to go in front of this guy's house and yell at him for not giving me money for my school because I have lead in my water and peeling paint walls. So why the fuck aren't you doing anything about it when it's your job, you know? Um, and so like I have zero faith in elected politics, but then there comes people like Rosan and you know Carlos que si hacen algo, they do do something, but it's like, is it enough? And will it ever I, be I want to say you know? to that, I want to say that for me, inside of city council, I have had to do a lot of work with myself to be patient mm -hmm. because, yes, we go in and we want things changed right now. Yeah. And the system is not set up in the way that we can change things right now. We can take steps. Now, that is enraging. It's enraging all the time. But what I would say is that we are new to this game. And we didn't necessarily know exactly how to do this before yeah. we came in here. It's only been two cycles. Like Carlos came in in 2015. The rest of us came in in 2019. We are still working on figuring out first, how do we do co-governance, which is incredibly important that we are always setting the pace, letting movements set the pace that we are always going back to movement in order to be able to fight for policies that are going to benefit the majority of the people. And that's hard work. The work of co-governance is hard work, especially because there is so much distrust in government. Yeah. And I can't take that personal. Yeah. I came in here, I don't trust it. I have had to do a lot of work to ensure that I can um, be both in there that I can be in that seat and that I can be in constant communication with movement and with the things that matter right now. Um, I think that the way that we use our offices also matter a lot. 
Um, I have had, for example, we have ward superintendents in our wards. That is the person that is our liaison with streets and sanitation. They are always out there in a truck. I have had two different ward superintendents and they both know that things that they are looking for while they're doing their work is people who are living in, um, in, in apartments or housing that is not okay, like looking for slumlords, um, making sure that we're taking care of people that are at risk for evictions and helping undocumented people, right? When ICE was a threat and, and when President Trump said that they were going to come after sanctuary cities, both of my war superintendents at that point, um, my war superintendent at that point was out there looking all the time to see if there was presence of ICE in my community, right? And you can lean on that. You can, you, if you have the institutional power, you can use those tools to really help the community. Uh, making sure that we, we already had a standard letter in our office that we use when people are at risk of eviction. And people will come to us and we will go and we will contact the landlord and we will fight for them. Um, that matters. That matters to somebody that is about to, to lose their roof, right? Um, so I have also had to scale back, right? And be like, okay, what is the picture right now? And what are the things that we should expect from our elected officials, right? What are the things that knowing that we live in a system that is so flawed, um, what are the basic things that we need from our elected officials and how do we hold them accountable to do the things that we need them to do? First off, I think that the older you get, the older, I mean, the older that you get, um, the sense of conformity within your brain grows, for sure. Um, because like you were saying, when you were 15, you were like, no, like, fuck all of this. Like, I want to- Oh, no, that was the other day, baby. Like, that was the <laughs> other day. That was, I was not 15. I, was I said when already. I was 15. <laughs> <laughs> I am still angry. I am absolutely still angry. But Kaylin, talk about that conformity part, because I, I want to hear that. Um, but I think that, like, like hearing you talk, or both of you talk about it as, like, this game that like you have to do and like that we have to partake in. It's like, we don't have to do anything, or at least in my eyes. I know I'm still 15, like I don't gotta pay bills. I don't have to take care of kids, um, but we don't have to do anything. I think that we spend so much time uh, like fighting institutions and, and wanting to be a, a, in the space of an institution that like it takes away so much of us that like anything else is like, I don't have energy to do. and liberation and abolition are two different things and so to say that like we won't see the abolition of uh, the systems that we exist in at this moment um, or in our lifetime I think you're completely true because I don't want to spend another minute fighting an institution so you are completely correct however I think that liberation um, I don't think I will ever say because words are power I don't think that I will ever say that liberation is so so far and that it will be in generations and generations and generations because I don't want that to be true um, I think that when we work collectively I think when we work smarter and not harder I think that when we are laughing and having joy in, in the spaces in which we're coming together and trying to figure out how the fuck do we get rid of this shit or how do we build how do we feed each other how do we love on each other how do we take care of each other I think those are two entirely different conversations and so how do we bring us to that point I don't think it's a specific sanctuary of how many seats we have in city council or how many people we have on the 
in Congress or whatever the case may be. I think it's when can we make sure that our communities are safe, they're taken care of, they're loved, um, they're fed, they're nourished, and, 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 and our people are happy and not constantly tired or feeling like when, when does it stop, when does yeah. the cycle stop? So if we had 26 seats in city council, we would have treatment of trauma. Mm -hmm. We would be able to send social workers, counselors, peer support workers to people who need it, right? We would be able to reopen all of the shuttered public mental health centers in Chicago. And we, those are places of, made them places of sanctuary. Mm -hmm. Since we got elected, we passed the welcoming city ordinance minus the carve outs, right? Mm -hmm. Like. Chicago police cannot go after undocumented people in Chicago and turn them twice. We just passed the bodily autonomy sanctuary ordinance that protect people that are seeking abortion care, gender affirming care um, in, in our city or that are being prosecuted for it in their home states. These are really important measures. And if we had more people in city council, it would be way easier to get to get to those places, to get the care that we need funded. Um, that does not mean that we just lean on those seats that we have in city council. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. We cannot just drive. We, we cannot get elected and just drive, right? And do whatever it is that we want. The struggle needs to continue. So when you said before something interesting, you said, I don't want to lose any more minutes like trying to spend so much time doing this electoral thing. The alternative is that you're still going to be struggling, even if the electoral thing, you're not doing it or if you opt out of, of it, because you are still going to be fighting those systems in whatever way, right? Um, the idea, for example, that we have breakfast in schools because the Black Panthers did that. Mm -hmm. That came from community. It was a community model. It's right. a mutual aid. And it was so successful. And the benefits of it was so visible that it was adopted as a government program, right, that ended up serving people. We can replicate those things. What we are trying to do in government, at least me, and this is how I see it right now, I am trying to get those resources for ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I We know where the resources are. We know where they're being put. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to raise the alarm. These resources belong to us, and we want to be in the driver's seat of how those resources that come from us mm -hmm. should be used and where they should be directed. But I do understand the lack of trust i understand the because i i feel it too it's only a minority of us in there trying to do this work mm -hmm. but i also think that like that's the point of it being a tool and yeah that's i agree with that and i think that like being like in a in a sanctuary a part of the city that is abandoned right mm -hmm. um and 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 where black people are being excommunicated out of the city it's like I wish, like, I wish that could be. I wish that we had enough seats on city council. I, I wish that we had 50 seats on city council so that we can move things <laughs> yes. on. However, it's 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 the fact that, like, how many, how many of you guys are? Six? Is it six? Like, eight or nine? Eight or nine. Right. So eight or nine seats. And to not only mention the fact that, like, most, it's you, Carlos, Jeanette, Byron. Maria. Maria. Matt. Matt. Daniel. Dan, Andre, Andre, mm -hmm. that's eight seats. Half of you guys are on the north side. 
electoralism or organizing, whatever the case is, I think that a lot of spaces in which we're trying to get things done are isolated. Mm -hmm. I think that if we all like were either on the same page or like work together, had shared spaces together, it would be completely different. However, I don't think that that like, I don't think that that happens. I don't think that- The shared spaces are the campaigns, right? Treatment of trauma is all over the city. And we have been doing it with 20, with six, with 33, mm -hmm. right? So right. at the policy level, that's how we operate citywide. I'm not advocating just for things for the 33rd ward. Mm -hmm. I'm advocating for things that are going to benefit the whole city and particularly the south and west side of Chicago, which is where a lot of these resources are needed the most. So that's where we come together and we work hard together and we work with Brighton Park Neighborhood Council and we work with over 40 organizations across the whole city to be able to craft this kind of policy and push together for it. But then still those 40 organizations are still isolated and it's so crazy that like we're in this very small pocket of the city and like we're not expanded. And or not even just that, but treatment not trauma is one thing and the needs of, of community go beyond that. And so it's like, how do we create that space? And, and not just that, but like, I understand that. I understand that it's hard. I know that it's hard. Mm -hmm. I'm not degrading that, any of that. I'm just saying, I wish it was less harder mm -hmm. and I don't want it to be hard for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to put myself through something that's hard when I think that building community is easier and, and brings us joy. I, yeah. What I'm hearing you say is like, okay, but my people need me today. You know what I mean? I was like, we need to do shit today. And there is power in community and there's power in like, you know, like you're saying, like a lot of the stuff that you, with organizing is like you, you're doing things on the day to day, you know? So you can see change. All that to say, I think we've touched a little bit on treatment, not trauma. And I just want to make sure to, for folks who don't know what that is, can we, you know, provide a little bit of context of like, what is treatment on drum? Yeah. Uh, so in 2020, uh, I introduced a council order um, that seek to create a model of mental health crisis response in Chicago that did not include police, but was staffed uh, specifically by um, mental health professionals, uh, EMTs, and other support workers. Mm -hmm. Um, and this would be done at the same time that we reopen the, the shuttered mental health centers uh, that both Daly and Rahm Emanuel closed in Chicago. Chicago used to have 19 community mental health centers. Mm -hmm. um, we are down to five public mental health centers. And with, you know, the neoliberal agenda that came with Rahm and then with Lori, mm -hmm. um, what ended up happening was that the mental health services started being provided almost exclusively by nonprofit organizations. Mm -hmm. um, what we know about nonprofit organizations is that they are not going to pay clinicians or workers the same amount that they are paid through the city. Um, it's unstable jobs, there's a lot of turnover. Um, so people leave because of the really hard working conditions. That means that continuity of care is really hard. Um, it also means that you lose uh, senior staff. You never actually have senior staff to train mm -hmm. the new people because people keep leaving, right? Um, so we introduced um, a, a council order that was called, that is called the Crisis Response and Care City Council Order Movement calls it treatment, not trauma. Um, 
and uh, we have been pushing for it ever since. Um, the mayor decided to create a pilot um, that is very tiny. So right now we have a, something called the CARE model, which is a corresponder model mostly that sends out uh, social workers alongside police officers. Um, and then a very tiny one that does not include police, but it's only two teams. And it, the work is just so little that it's even hard to get data about mm -hmm. how well it works. Mm -hmm. So since 2020, we have been fighting to have a comprehensive uh, mental health crisis uh, response model in Chicago. That's treatment. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And well, thank you for sharing that because that, you know, definitely like is something that had a huge impact on our communities is like us losing mental health centers. We need help and there's very little resources, right? And that's something that's like impacting us on the day to day. And I see that conflict where it's like, okay, like the difference between like electoral power and people power, right? Where it's like, yes, there are people in positions of power that can make things move and they can also make things just stay stagnant. Which is why it's important that you're pushed to have the people that are actually going to stand with you, mm -hmm. right? That, I mean, that is the, that is actually at the core of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that we need to put all of our eggs on the electoral basket. Mm -hmm. It is a tool. Mm -hmm. It is a tool. One conversation that I have had with my, with my community and, and my IPO and the people that are around us right now, we always talk about what happens if we lose an election, right? Like what happens if I'm not there anymore? And one of the things that we continue to say all the time is like, well, we're not going anywhere because we got here because we have been fighting. Do you know how many fights I have fought since I was six years old? Like, I have never stopped fighting. There has never been a moment in my life when I have not been fighting something. Mm. And now we're here and we're fighting with these tools. And I think about, okay, if we're not here anymore, what do we do? We continue to fight. Whoever is in the seat after we are in the seat is going to have to listen to us like every day. They're going to get sick of us. And we're going to, to push them to do the things that we believe that our community needs them to do. And we are going to organize outside of electoral politics. And we are going to push because it's the only way that I know that things have ever changed when people have raised their voices and have fought back. There's just no other route. You can fight through the electoral process. You can never lose sight that this is not the only way to fight. Mm -hmm. And that they need to be like, whatever the electoral strategy is, it needs to be connected to movement. It needs to be connected to the needs of the people um, and the fights that are going on on the ground. Otherwise, that's crap. Like you, it doesn't matter whoever is there that gets to just make their own decisions based on whatever they see fit at that moment. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Because I think, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, I think that like we talked about before, like this is a hard fight and it's not, you know, like you mentioned also, like there's, you have to savor the good moments because a lot of times like you fight, you fight, you fight it and you have small wins, but you know, and you work so hard for them. And, and, but like, you, you know, how Nava had mentioned, like sometimes you have very few that come here and there. And so like on that note, like I, you know, I think everyone here has spoken to like, this is hard. We're fighting all the time. And so I'm curious, like, how do you sustain yourselves? And what, you know, what keeps you guys going? Like, how are you, you know, feeding and nurturing your body um, and feeding, you know, like, I mean, like spiritually to be able to continue to fight, right? Because like, 
it's something like I think we can agree on this conversation is that like the struggle continues and unfortunately like we're gonna have to keep you know pushing and so I'm just curious as to like what tools have you found or you know to be able to sustain yourselves to keep going um, definitely for me, relying on the spirits of my ancestors, um, even my living ancestors, my grandma, who just got out of jail uh, two months ago, um, calls me every day, every night, um, tells me to sleep with the angels, sends me a big old hug and a big old kiss. Like, that's what keeps me going. When you find the right space, you'll know because even when you're doing the organizing and even when you're fighting, there will be the moments of liberation in them and it will eventually merge into one like that's what no cop was for me where it's like we're all organizing we're all planning to shut shit down but also we're laughing and we're dancing and we're talking we're making jokes and we're eating together we're like forming these everlasting bonds that keep me sustained and remind me why I'm here in the first place and understanding that like the world is what we build it and like even if I don't get to see the you know, the fruits of my labor I know someone else will experience it and it's the moment in this moment now that I know I've helped somebody else. I've put my heart and my soul into this yeah. and it gives me back so much of my heart and my soul. Um, but I also find that peace in other things and like, and it's just finding the people and the space that works for you and understanding that it's, it's a journey, it's a long life fight. And so you're not rushing to the end because it's gonna be a hard fought end and you gotta make sure that when it, we get there, you're also there, you know? You don't get left behind in the burnout. I think that the thing that sustained me the most is, is community, is the people that believe in the work, is the people that are willing to do the work with me, um, is the people that keep me accountable and grounded, um, is Caitlin and Nava, knowing that they are there, that they are thinking deeply about the things that are impacting our communities and that they are willing to, to do the work to, to make sure that things move forward, that that they care so deeply about their community, that they care so deeply about the people around them, mm -hmm. um, that they are in this journey of, of trying to heal our city, it, that is deeply moving to me and it definitely keeps me going. Yeah, we all we got. Yeah. And shout out to Rosan, because I can never be an office, man. I can't do it. No. Like, <laughs> I never thought I would. Yeah, when I first started organizing, there was like a whole five-year plan. Let's get Nava in office. Let's do this. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Like anything for the revolution, bro. You know? But it's understanding that, yeah, there's a balance between understanding that power comes from people and we can model these powers and practices within our community. But also understanding that, you know, we have to make it the system. Because um, that was my big thing. I don't know. Yeah, I love that. What nurtures me and, and what and what makes me feel cared for and loved, um, it makes me feel like, oh, like I want to keep doing this. I think that that's hidden in, in, in the little things. Um, my school community is definitely something that like means the world to me. I talk about how much I dislike school so much that you would think that it's the it's, community you find in it, right? Right. It's it's the people, it from the teachers to um, the administrators to the security guards, knowing that like it because schools are the hearts of our communities for sure, um, and knowing that 
the intention of the adults in my building um, is to make sure that we all move on from this life. And and I think I was just I was just thinking about this, but like we all are aware of like the sanctuary of this city. Um, and whether you're on the right or the left or the middle, wherever you are, you don't like it. And something needs to change. And I think that the idea of meeting people where they're at, um, talking with people, communicating with each other and trying to change that brings me joy. I think that's a win in itself and seeing how that evolves um, and becomes itself is an even bigger win, but I, I want to see that and I want to work towards that. Um, and, and being able to sit on the couch with you all. Aww. Right? This is a big win right here. Aww, this couch. Oh, <laughs> y'all are so cute. Well, I do want to say again, thank you guys so much. And I, I truly mean that. It's been like really inspiring and an honor to talk to you guys about you know, the work that you do, the impact that you've had in our communities. And as a Chicagoan, like, we're so happy to have y'all. Like, we're so lucky and fortunate to have these fiery. And thank you for bringing that fire and that passion to this conversation. And so just want to, again, like, uplift you guys for that. So thank you again for being a part of this conversation. Thank you for having us. Yes. You know, how can we support you? You know, is there any projects you have ongoing or any ways that people can plug in um, after watching this episode. It's very important that people get involved in this cycle. Um, look up the people that are pushing for the policies that you believe in. Look up those people um, and, and help them out and get involved in those campaigns. But they, they are grassroots campaigns um, and they definitely need everybody's help. Yeah, this is coming from an abolitionist. Vote. Everybody vote. <laughs> vote. Vote. It's coming from an abolitionist. Vote. <laughs> No, well, thank you guys again so much. It's been such an honor. And yeah, thank you. This is our last episode. We're ending strong with an amazing team. So thank you guys. Yes, clap it up for yourselves. Last episode. Yes. Thank you guys again for joining us. This is the end of season three of Shit Talk Studio Sessions. I want to thank Chicago Volts, the Give a Shit Collective. Of course, we have to thank Soapbox. We couldn't do this without our guests. And we just want to thank you for watching. So with that being said, I'm Gabby Bosquez, and it's a wrap. Thank you.